We're in the book of Mark, and this is the 11th week of the book of Mark, and we are in Mark chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, feel free to turn there. If you have an app on your phone, feel free to turn there. The scripture will be on the screen this morning. Well, we are going to talk today, and this is not an uncommon talk. In fact, I mentioned it even last week in our Easter sermon, but we're going to speak today on the subject, the lunatic and liar. The lunatic and liar, and I'm going to go a little bit of a different direction today, uh, possibly than what you may think. But the lunatic and liar, as you can imagine, when Jesus came, when he invaded the Jews, he invaded uh, the territory of, um, of prophecy. And remember before Jesus came, scholars say there were 400 years, there was 400 years of silence between the end of the book of Malachi and the end of, book, uh, the, end of the book of Nehemiah until John the Baptist. There was 400 years of silence. And Jesus kind of invades. Imagine God completely being silent for the entirety of the United States of America being in existence. And then all of a sudden someone steps on the stage so we understand that Jesus was not probably going to be accepted widely. There was going to be some skepticism. Let's read today our text. Chapter 3 of the book of Mark, beginning in verse 20. The Bible says, Then the multitude came together again, so that they could, so that they could not so much as eat bread. But when his own people heard about this, they went out to lay hold of him, for they said he is out of his mind. We actually touched on these two verses two weeks ago. Verse 22. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem said he has Beelzebub. And by the ruler of the demons, he casts out demons. So he called them to himself and said to them in parables, which by the way, parables are just, uh, if you wanted to think of a, a word, maybe like an illustration, an example. How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. If Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand but has an end. No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. And then he will plunder his house. Assuredly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the sons of men and whatever blasphemies they may utter, but he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is subject to eternal condemnation. All that was said because they said he has an unclean spirit. Much has been made so far of the life of Jesus as we've traveled for 11 Sundays this, these dirt roads with Jesus in the book of Mark. We have seen earthly followers of Jesus drop what they're doing to follow him, leaving their, their, uh, their trade behind, leaving their families behind to follow Jesus. And certainly those people had witnessed many, many amazing victories even so far in Jesus' earthly ministry. Others were obviously confused about him and they didn't know what to think. They didn't want to believe his claims, but the miracles that were taking place were making them wonder and they didn't know they were so torn. And then there were others who would just outright reject Jesus. Those who would consider his claims to be completely erroneous. Those who would not just reject him, but even begin to work against him. 
Those who would do as Mark chapter 3 and verse 6 states, they would plot how they might destroy him. And Jesus has really thrown a wrench in things. He's thrown a wrench into the Jewish religious culture. And he's created quite a stir. Today's text that we have read shows us the views that people had toward Jesus. And I believe today we'll leave here with a greater understanding of just how incredible this man named Jesus truly was. Heavenly Father, speak through your word today. May your name be lifted high. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. By the way, we preach through the books of the Bible, so we are in Mark, and we'll be in Mark for a while. And so if you're interested in that and finding out the kind of the scope of the entire book, uh, that's where we are. One of the main truths that we've discovered in the book of Mark is that this book uh, of Mark was probably Peter dictating to Mark his experiences okay, as a, an apostle. So that's something to just keep in mind um, as, we, as we read through uh, and as we teach through this book. But I want us to see first this morning that his family called him a lunatic. His family called him a lunatic. We concluded two weeks ago with a brief touch on this. However, I want to highlight it once again. Uh, verses 20 and 21, Then the multitude came together again so that they could not so much as eat bread. But when his own people, and, and if you look that up, his own people there are his actual family. When his family heard about this, they went out to lay hold of him, for they said he is out of his mind. Jesus had been obviously threatened uh, physically to be destroyed. Jesus had been threatened, they are thinking, emotionally and psychologically with the crowds that were following him. And so they arrive at Capernaum with the sole intention of forcibly taking Jesus back to Nazareth. Hey, we're going to come and rescue our crazy brother, our crazy cousin. How many of you have a crazy cousin in your family? Be honest. Raise your hand if you've got a crazy cousin. Don't lie. We're in church. Raise your hand if your crazy family member's in this room. I'm just kidding. Don't do that. Don't do that. We all have crazy family members, right? I've got a few. They might be watching today. If you're watching, you're one of my crazy family members. Welcome. Uh, but Jesus was, we're not going to use the word crazy to describe Jesus, but we will use uh, outlandish. We will use a little bit out there like this is, our cousin is claiming to be God. And so they show up on the scene with the intention of taking him back, back to Nazareth where he came from. But why would they do such a thing? And, and, and obviously they thought he was, he was crazy. Uh, his family who deeply cared for him and, and cared about his reputation wanted, wanted to come and remove him from his situation. And why would they do that? Why, how could this be? Why would his family go to such extremes to physically detain or attempt to physically detain Jesus? I believe, first of all this morning, that they truly cared for him. As a person, you have to understand his, his family did not know everything that Jesus knew and I believe out of a pure heart and a loving heart, having thought he had lost his mind, they wanted to remove him because they truly did care for him as a person. And if you think about it from a human perspective, they were doing what any loving family member would do to someone that was seemingly going crazy and that they were going to intervene. This was an intervention. This is you show up at the house and the whole family's there waiting to talk to you. Intervention. And so I believe that, first of all, they truly cared for him. I believe, secondly, that they cared for him because they knew his choices 
were going to end up leading to his destruction. Hey, Jesus, if you continue making these wild claims, they're going to kill you, man. Listen, if you continue to say the things you're saying and do the things you're doing, listen, these people are coming after you. And whether it was going to be physical destruction or emotional destruction or spiritual destruction, Jesus was very radical. And his family understood that that didn't sit too well with many people, especially in the Jewish religious culture. If you think about it, those who have radically followed Jesus, not just Jesus, but those who have radically followed him with their whole lives have also been thought of in the same way. Maybe they're crazy. Maybe they've lost their minds. When the apostle Paul preached before Festus in Acts chapter 26, Festus cried out in response to Paul in verse 24. He said, Paul, you are beside yourself. Much learning is driving you mad. Festus said to Paul, after Paul got done preaching, hey dude, you're losing your mind. Something is not quite right. Those that have radically followed Jesus, those that have radically followed him with their lives are often thought of to be crazy. People thought Martin Luther had absolutely lost his mind as he pioneered the Reformation, as he, as he stood up against not just the church, but against the church of the king, the government's church. They thought he was crazy. How about William Borden? William Borden left a load of wealth to prepare to reach the Muslim community in Egypt. He was, he was a highly decorated academic who went to seminary, I believe at Princeton, and he goes to serve and to reach the Muslims in Egypt, and he died within 12 months of leaving his wealth. Certainly he's mad, he's crazy. But let me say this morning, given the truth of Jesus and his transformational power in the gospel, these people were anything but crazy. In fact, they were simply bold and simply full of faith. If it's Christ madness that they had, then may I say this as a quote this morning, that Christianity needs more of Christ's madness. That's what Kent Hughes says. Christianity needs more people that the world looks at and goes, I don't know, I, don't, I can't even wrap my mind around those people. Christianity needs more where people say, hey, listen, there's something different about that person. And by the way, don't be uncomfortable with that. If your family and those closest to you don't understand the choices that you're making in following Jesus, it's okay. Jesus' family didn't either. Hey, if you're a little concerned or nervous this morning about taking that step of faith that maybe Jesus is calling you to, hey, this morning, let me say this. Jesus' own family didn't understand the steps of faith he took. So as you step out and you take steps of faith, as you, as you step out and you follow Jesus with your life, Hey, expect sometimes for those closest to you to maybe think you're crazy. You mean you're back, you're back at church again? Man, it's, it's Sunday after Easter. What in the world? What are you doing back at church? Wait a minute. There's a, a remodeling project and you're doing what? You're involved how? Oh, they need you to serve and you're going to be up there again what night this week? Man, that's a little crazy. You mean to tell me that you give financially? That's, that's, 
So this, this first opinion of Jesus was simply that he was a lunatic, that he was crazy. And by the way, if it means that the world looks at me like I'm crazy, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. In fact, if this world thinks I'm crazy, I'm probably on the right track. Secondly, this morning, let's look. It wasn't only his family. It wasn't only those who called him a lunatic. Let's look secondly, and this is extremely important this morning, and that is this, that the the Pharisees called him a, a liar. The Pharisees called him a liar. There is certainly a lot here that we're going to touch today. The Pharisees called him a liar in verse 22. The scribes who came down from Jerusalem said, he has Beelzebub. He has the devil. By the ruler of demons, he casts out demons. They literally say, this man, Jesus, is possessed by a demon. This man is being influenced. By Satan. Obviously, we know that Jesus had made claims already in his ministry that he was the Son of God. He had forgiven sins. He had healed people of diseases. He had staked his claim as the Son of the living God. And they say, no, you're possessed by a devil. You're demon-possessed. So he called them unto himself and said in a parable and example how can satan cast out satan the kingdom is divided against itself that kingdom cannot stand if a house is divided against itself that house cannot stand if satan has risen up against himself and is divided he cannot stand but as then i love how jesus asked questions that are like kind of obvious but kind of like confusing and kind of deep and kind of difficult he basically says if i'm possessed by a devil i'm casting out devils so why would satan work against himself I mean, it's kind of an obvious question he's asking, right? But then it's kind of deep, and it makes him think, hey, listen, if I am possessed by a devil, then why would I be casting devils out of people? Okay, it's, it's kind of a logical question that Jesus asked them, and he, he throws it back to them in a parable. As we continue down, though, down in verse 28, assuredly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the sons of men. And whatever blasphemies they may utter. But there's a warning that comes next. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness. But is subject to eternal condemnation. This obvious strong language is commonly referred to as the unpardonable sin. Has anyone ever heard that statement before? The unpardonable sin. And we'll get there um, in just a second. But let's begin at the beginning of this text. We're getting to the unpardonable sin. I was going to do the entire message on it, but I feel that that could be a little morbid. So I didn't do that. The religious gave their opinion of Jesus, and their opinion simply was this. He is not who he says he is. In fact, he is possessed not by God's Holy Spirit, but by Satan. He's a liar. Jesus responds with, how can Satan cast out Satan? Why in the world would Satan work against himself? If a kingdom is divided against himself, that kingdom cannot stand. Hey guys, this is obvious I'm not from Satan because if I was from Satan, I would not be working against myself. Why would he seek to tear down his own kingdom? By the way, as a side note here, this is, 
I love how we, how we preach in context here. I have heard my entire life, a house divided against itself cannot stand. I've heard that preached at marriage conferences about marriages. I've heard that preached at, uh, at churches about, being, about unity in churches. And may I say, I think we understand here the specific context is about blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Okay, about Jesus being who he says he is. However, let me do say, on a side note, an additional application this morning, may I say this, there is a great unity lesson that is presented here. If a house, a family, a relationship, a team, a club, a workplace, yeah, yeah, a, a church, if it is divided against itself, it cannot stand. There is a, I believe, a second application here, and that is a very practical one for us, that Unity brings us together. It gives us a solid foundation. It can stand up against the winds and the waves of time. And those that are not unified, uh, those that have disunity, uh, those that are divided, when the storms hit, when the winds come, when the rains hit, those tend to fall apart. And may I just say very briefly that we keep our unity. We keep our unity. Today we're having a starting point and we have several people staying today uh, for starting point. And one of the things we're going to talk about is the unity within our church that you don't have to be twins to be brothers. You can be brothers and not be twins. But brothers can stay unified. doesn't mean we have to be in unison. It means we have to be unified. So at the end of the day, we see a practical application here in your marriage, in your workplace, in your church in any team relationship that you have, a house divided itself against itself cannot stand. If there is no unity, there will ultimately be destruction. But as I said, that's not the main gist. The old Josh would have taken the entire message and preached that. But that is not the main gist of this text. We see that Jesus is addressing those who would accuse him of lying. Those who would accuse him and say that he was actually Satan or oppressed and possessed by Satan. And Jesus warns them that, hey, listen, you're approaching dangerous ground. You're approaching dangerous ground. Hey, listen, mom, dad, brother, sister, cousin, I'm not crazy. But hey, religious Pharisees, you better, you better hold on. You better think about what you're saying. You're, you're approaching very dangerous ground to ascribe the things of the Son of God, to ascribe the workings of Jesus himself to that of Satan. And you better watch it. And by the way, there aren't many times in Scripture where there's like a, hey, you better watch it before, but this is one of them. The unpardonable sin, a, a sin for which there is full condemnation, a sin which the Bible tells us does not have forgiveness. And I think you understand today, and if you don't understand today, let me tell you this, that Jesus offers forgiveness. It's one of the main reasons why he died on the cross for you, one of the main reasons why he rose again for you. But there is this text that we must deal with, even on a Sunday morning, the Sunday after Easter where he is risen, we still have to deal with the reality of this text. So what is blaspheming against the Holy Spirit? I believe it tells us in the text here. I believe we, we see it within the text here this morning. But let me say it this way. It is the ongoing, continual rejection 
of the validity of the Holy Spirit and his work in the world. A step further. It is the perversion of your heart so that you call what God is doing the works of the devil. If we want to simplify it to its base form, it is a long-term, consistent, final rejection of the Holy Spirit. You want a one-word definition? Unbelief. Unbelief. You say, is there a sin that I could commit, Josh, that will eternally damn me? It is. There is. In its simplest form, unbelief. I could go back through here and we could go back through that ascribing things to Satan and the devil that God is doing, continually rejecting the validity of the Holy Spirit and his work. But in short this morning, may I say it is unbelief at its core. It is ascribing holiness and the holy things of God incarnate in Jesus. It is ascribing those things to Satan and his work. And by the way, that's dangerous ground. That's dangerous ground to live on. And and, and let's be honest this morning, it's not something that you probably find yourself doing, you know, uh, not realizing it. It's kind of a purposeful decision that you make to unbelieve, that you reject this, that not only as I called for last week, I called on you to say, I'm either going to accept Jesus or I'm going to reject Jesus. It is a conscious decision to say, Jesus was a liar. The final call. That's the unpardonable sin this morning. And as Jesus claims to bring life, some call it death. As he brings light, others see darkness. They say, Jesus is a liar. That was the second and by far the most dangerous claim in this text. So we've completed verses 20 through 30. We have spoken this morning on the Pharisees calling him a liar. And we have spoken on believers. I'm sorry, we've not gotten there yet. Uh, We have spoken about the Pharisees calling him a liar and about his family calling him a lunatic. By the way, if you follow Jesus... Be prepared to be called a lunatic, a little crazy. Be prepared to have your integrity questioned. Be prepared. Those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Be ready. However, what's the third option today? His family thought he was crazy. The religious zealots thought he was a liar. If you've been in our church any time at all, you know it's coming. You know one of my favorite quotes is a C.S. Lewis quote. And he says that Jesus was no good man or prophet, but Jesus was either lunatic, liar, or Lord. There's no other option. I'm not here today to beat you over the head with this again. I'm here to simply say, thirdly, believers confess him as Lord. Believers confess him as Lord. What is the answer today to the the claims of his family and the claims of the religious crowd? The answer today is to declare Jesus to be who he claimed to be, the Lord of all the earth, the Lord of creation. 
the Lord of our lives. Romans chapter 10 and verse 9, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Man, that's an incredible thing. Just this week, I was able to witness someone confessing with their mouth the Lord Jesus and believing in their heart that God raised him from the dead, and that person was saved. New life in Christ. Acts chapter 16 and verse 29, then he called for a light. This is the the prison, uh, the, the, the head of the prison there. He called for a light. He ran in. He fell down trembling before Paul and Silas, and he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What must I do? And they said, Paul and Silas said, those that had been in prison, they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. They went and they found his, 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 his wife and, and his kids and his and his brothers and sisters, and they, they preached to them, and they told them the same truth and gave them the gospel. And when they had spoken the word of the Lord to him and all those who were in his house, he took them the same hour of the night, and he washed their stripes. And immediately he and all his family were baptized. Now when he had brought them into his house, he, he set food before them, and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. Hey, listen, what's the third option here? Family, he's crazy. Religious, he's a liar. The third option is he is Jesus. The third option is he is Savior. The third option is he is Lord. He is Master. He is King. He is Son of God. He is Son of Man. He is exactly who he claimed to be. He is Healer. He is Protector. I'm not going to keep going, but I could. He is Provider. I need an organ behind me right now. Uh, He is a provider. We could go on and on and on and on. He is perfect. He is holy. He is sinless. He is tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Listen, Jesus is not crazy this morning. Jesus is not a liar. And by the way, if you take that step of unbelief, just... Just beware. Just beware. I'm usually a very kind-hearted speaker, but today's scripture, beware. If you make that call in your life that he is not who he says he is, just beware. No, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. In fact, those who confess with their mouths the Lord Jesus and believe in their hearts that God has raised him from the dead Easter Sunday, you, they will be saved. Uh, what must I do to be saved? The prison guard said. The prison, uh, the, 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 the ruler of the prison said. And Paul and Silas said, believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Lives are changed when Jesus is declared to be who he says that he is. Lives are transformed. Eternities are altered. Eternities on their way to hell are eternally changed to an eternity with Jesus in heaven. They're changed by declaring Jesus not as a lunatic, not as a liar, but as the Lord. But as the Lord. No, he's not out of his mind. 
No, he certainly isn't a liar. He simply is the Lord. And may I say this this morning? He wants to be your Lord today. He wants to be your Lord. You say, Josh, what does that mean? Think about it. Think about the word. I am currently lording over this light and this speaker. Everything is underneath me in this moment. If I want to, I can step right on this thing. I'm not going to. It's going to flip backwards. I'm not touching the light either because that thing is finicky. Sometimes it doesn't work when we turn it on. I'm not touching it, but I am lording over it. I can do whatever I want to. Let me ask you, is that Jesus in your life? My kids are now 10 years old and 12 years old. But especially when my kids were younger, I, I, I mean, let's be honest. You lord over your children as toddlers. Nothing, you, well, let's be honest. Some, some toddlers lord over their parents. Let's be real. I went through a, I went through a phase of that too. Uh, but anyway, you would think that as parents, I, I would be able to lord over my toddler. And what does that mean? Nothing was coming into my two-year-old's life that was not under my control. That's what lording means. So I ask you, is Jesus your Lord? There's two elements to this, and I'm done. Hey, Christian, is Jesus lording over your life? Now, you declared him to be Lord the day you trusted in him. Are there areas, and let's be honest, I think there are constantly areas in my life where I say, man, I've really taken that back and really started operating in the flesh. I need to surrender. So Christian, is he Lord? But let me, most importantly today, if you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you never made him the Lord of your heart, today is the ultimate day to do that. I invite you today to do that. You say, Josh, what does it look like? Romans chapter 10, verse 9, if you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. The only way I know how to confess with my mouth is through prayer. But it says, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. I love this. This was a truth I didn't bring out last Sunday. I love that it didn't say and believe that he died on the cross. Because Abby could go down the cross. I could go down the cross. No, it said that believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Something no one else could do. Now, if you believe that and you confess it with your mouth, it says you will be saved. Today I ask you, if you've never called on the name of the Lord, you've never believed on him, maybe you're trusting the fact that like you grew up in, in church and man, I was in a pastor's home. If anybody could have claimed that, it would have been me. I didn't get this settled until I was 19. I lived 19 years as a pastor's kid not knowing Jesus. Okay, that's my, that's my testimony. I, if you grew up in church and you know the Sunday school songs, in, right, out, right, up, right, down, happy all the time, whatever you do. If you know all them, the B-I-B, if you know the B-I-B-L-E, you could spell it right and everything. Whatever the songs were that you sang in Sunday school. Maybe your, your daddy was a deacon or your mom served and led this ministry or this. That's, that's not what I asked. That's not what I asked, right, Steve? Steve's been in this church forever. It's not, that's, that, that ain't it. It ain't, it ain't, hey, is my, Steve's my uncle over there, so I'm good. No, Steve knows. No, it's every individual 
Have you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? It's not about attending church, even though I love it when you attend. It's not about giving in the offering, even though I love it when people give in the offering. It's not about serving in the community, even though I love it when we serve in the community. It's not about all these things. All of those things come as a result of the main thing. And that is Jesus Christ. Is he your Lord? Is he your Savior? Would you bow your heads this morning? Thanks for listening today. If you're listening for the first time, we would love to hear from you. Maybe you have a question about the gospel of Jesus. If so, we'd like you to send us an email at hello at keystonerdu.church. If you're a regular listener to our podcast and you would like to donate to the media and outreach ministries at Keystone, your gift would allow us to do more in an effective way to get the gospel out. Thank you for partnering with us in ministry in Durham and around the world.